2 Timothy chapter 4. If you want a title for this message, maybe you could maybe you could jot down there in the notes area of your bulletin, what is your finish line? What is your finish line? Emphasis on you. What is your finish line? Paul, having established at the end of chapter 3 that all Scripture is God-breathed, turns to Timothy and says, Timothy, now preach the Word. He gives him nine commands. In the passage we looked at last week, I don't know if you picked up on this. Uh, By the way, if you missed that sermon, there are CD copies. Some of you have told us, we have already figured out, that, that you can't work your computer, you don't podcast, all right? Uh, you would like to have an old-fashioned CD to put in your car while you're driving to work, etc. That's most convenient. That's what we want to do. So if you missed last week, there are CDs. Uh, are they on the back of the table, Chris? Yeah, they're on the offering table there. Just grab one, take it with you. But here's what we saw last week. After Paul had said at the end of chapter 3 that all Scripture is God-breathed, Timothy, he turns to Timothy and he gives him nine commands. That was last week, but here they are. Preach the Word, command one. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke exhort, be sober, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Timothy, go to the end. Notice that it isn't just a charge to preach, but to preach come hell or high water, we used to say. No matter what, until the very end, preach the word, Timothy, and there is no one on earth more qualified to ask such a thing of a man than the Apostle Paul. Why? Because he is, remember, at the end of his days. And he has fulfilled his ministry. He has been faithful and obedient to the very same thing he's calling Timothy to. So, now having called Timothy to go to the very end of his life, go and fulfill your ministry as long as it takes. He uses his own life now. Chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. Paul turns back and he examines himself. He uses his own life, as he often has through this letter, as the example for Timothy to look to. Watch this. For I am now already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, mind you, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have loved His appearing. Paul stands, if you think about it, he stands at the edge of eternity. He takes a look around and he gives this this very romantic final evaluation of his own life. And he's going to use it as a motivation and an example for what he's already called Timothy to do through this whole letter. A guy named J.C. Ryle, he's a pretty respected commentator, said this about the Apostle Paul's words. You see the Apostle Paul here looking three ways. Downward, backward, and forward. Downward to his grave. Backward to his own ministry. And forward to that great day, the day of his judgment. Let's look down with Paul first. What does it mean to be poured out as a drink offering? You ever thought of what, uh, what that means? What is a drink offering? Paul says, I am being poured out now as a drink offering. Well, I'll, I'll preempt my explanation of this by saying this could be an entire sermon all on its own. Okay? This is an amazing thought. This is an amazing phrase for the Apostle Paul to use, especially at the end of his life. Let me just give you a couple hints as to why this is such a beautiful phrase. 
to be poured out as a drink offering, it, it is part of a sacrifice, okay? It's an offering. It's, it's part of the whole sacrifice process. To be, to be mentioned as part of the sacrificial process uh, would, would be a sobering thing, mind you, all right? So when Paul says, I'm being poured out as a drink offering, that's a, that's a serious thing to say about yourself. It's not a light, flippant thing to say. He's calling himself part of the sacrificial process. To be poured out as a drink offering always is an indication in Scripture of joy. And that sounds strange to be a part of a sacrifice, to be an indication of joy. But it is the part of the sacrifice when included with other parts of the sacrificial process that is symbolic of not only the one who's making the sacrifice their joy, but of the joy that God takes in the sacrifice itself. And so if you, if you look at the symbolism of what the different offerings throughout Israel's history meant, all right, and there are many of them, they all focus on different aspects of how God responds, how man is to approach God, what the attitude needs to be, what God's response is to the completion of the sacrifice, etc. Keep in mind here that at the end of Paul's life, he calls himself uh, a drink offering being poured out on the sacrifice, on the altar of the sacrifice. It's the idea that, that he sees his life in completion, uh, a joy, not only to himself, but it is a joyous thing for God. His life being poured out in this sobering and serious way, he understands it as a joy to his God. And he rejoices. This isn't a sad ending in the Apostle Paul's mind. For him to say, I'm being poured out as a drink offering, although that's a serious and sobering statement, that's a joyful statement. He knows the symbolism of a drink offering. A drink offering was also always poured out completely. A drink offering was poured out completely. Paul poured out his life completely. He held nothing back. A drink offering was instructed for sacrifice, check this out, made in the promised land, not to be done in the wilderness. Israel spent a huge portion of their time in the wilderness. They were promised this land flowing with milk and honey. When you get there, this part of the sacrificial process needs to be added on. Again, it's a, an addition of God's joy. It may point out the fact that God is not done with us just when He brings us home. When He redeems us, He still delights in us. He still finds joy in us. Finally, let me give you one more point about being poured out. It's, it's symbolic of the very end. This part of the process, when you laid the sacrifice on the altar, when you bound the animal to the horns of the altar, when you poured the drink offering onto that sacrifice, it was, it was like saying this is the beginning of the end. It was part of the, the joyous completion of the sacrifice that God is now delighting in. So Paul, by saying that he is being poured out as a drink offering, is, is indicating here a whole lot of things, but he's also primarily indicating that this is the end for me, Timothy. This is the end for me. And so he looks down into his grave in these words. Suffice it to say, Paul's life was poured out and he celebrated that fact. He didn't bemoan that fact. He wasn't, he wasn't saddened by that fact. He sees this as a joyous sacrifice and he sees that God has been 
joyful and delighted in his sacrifice, that he has poured out his life. He goes on to say, and the time of my departure has come. There's nothing worse in my mind. Uh, I'm a movie guy. There's nothing worse than a good movie that ends badly. You seen those kind of movies? They're like these great movies and they, they're sometimes like very long and you're, and you're waiting and you just think at the end like something amazing is going to happen and it just flops flat, right? Uh, that's not the movie of Paul's life. Paul's life ends in what you might call a quiet crescendo. This phrase, at the time of my departure, it is come. This, this phrase is one of my favorite in Scripture because of the picture it paints. The word for departure here is the word analusis. All right? Now check this out. The word analusis, uh, we derive from that word, the word analysis. You heard this word, analysis? An analysis, if you think about it, is you look at something that's in its whole and you break it down into its pieces. You analyze the whole. The word analusis in the Greek was used for a couple different concepts. One of the concepts that it was used for was a military concept. At the end of a battle, at the end of a war, when all the regime of the troops were camped out in their tents, they would use this word analusis as a way for them to understand that the war is over and we now break camp. They would, they would take their tents apart, they would break camp, and they would go home. To use the word analusis, it's kind of like the captain saying, dismissed to the troops. That's what Paul has in mind. He's like a good soldier being dismissed by his captain. The time of my analusis, the time of my departure is near. It has come. It's also used uh, in another way. Uh, it's used by sailors. It's used by mariners. It's used to describe the untying. Think of this picture now just in your mind's eye. The untying of a boat from its dock moorings. If you've ever been on a boat and it's, and it's docked, you've got the ropes and they connect to those little things on the dock, those moorings that it, it keeps attached to the boat. Uh, this word, analysis, was used in, in picturing a boat untying its ropes and drifting away from the dock. Drifting out to sea. That's the imagery Paul uses here when he says that the time of my departure has come. It's like, a, it's like a soldier being told it's time to break camp. The war's over. It's time to go home, boys. Or it's like a sailor untying his ropes from the dock that final time, shoving off, drifting away into eternity. What a beautiful Beautiful picture. Paul has always seen his death as gain, though, hasn't he? I mean, this idea to Paul isn't a sad idea. To me, living is Christ, dying is gain, Paul would say. This isn't a sad occasion for Paul. Paul looks down to his death. The time of his departure has come. That's okay. But it isn't because his life went well. Think about it. Paul can't look to the grave simply because his life went well. If Paul's life were a movie, it's one of those long, emotionally draining movies that pulls you in, beats you to death, and then leaves you spent at the end. Drained completely. It's one of those movies. Let's look back with Paul. We've looked down with him. Let's look back. Because he's going to summarize his life as he stands on the edge of eternity. 
He's going to say it's been a tough fight. He's going to say it's been a ridiculous obstacle course. And he's going to say it was all he could do just to hold on. Look at the next verse. I have fought the good fight. You know these words. I have finished the course and I have kept the faith. He sees his life, number one, like a battle and believes he has fought well, church. Paul, as he looks back in the evaluation of his own life, can say that he has fought the good fight against the world, against his flesh, and against the devil. He fought well. He also sees his life like a race. I've run the race marked out before me. I've gone over the ground appointed for me. However rough, however steep, I've not turned aside. Because of difficulties, nor because of discouragement, nor because of the length of the race. It's been a ridiculously long, hard course of life. But I finished the course. He sees his life like a soldier, like a battle, like a race. But he also sees himself as a steward, having held fast the glorious gospel which was committed to him in his into his trust. I have kept the faith. I've not mingled it with man's traditions nor spoiled it with simplicity by adding to it my own inventions nor allowed others to mix in and adulterate the message. He held to the faith. Notice the definite article. He doesn't say, I kept my faith. I didn't waver. It's more than that. It's more than that. He's saying here, I've kept the faith. It's not just a slang phrase that he throws around. Keep the faith, homie. It's more than that. When Paul says he's kept the faith, it's, it's a term of stewardship. That the gospel that was entrusted to him, he held fast to it. He didn't squander it. He didn't waste it. He didn't let it get ripped from his hands. He didn't just bury it somewhere. He used it well. He kept as a good steward would. The faith that was entrusted to him. The gospel message. He would live and die for it. He fought well. He finished the course. He kept the faith. Paul's at the end. He looks down to death and he shows no fear, does he? He looks back at his life and he shows no regrets. Let's look forward with Paul for a moment. He says, In the future there is laid up for me crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. What amazing words. What amazing words as he looks forward into eternity. Perhaps the most uh, amazing part of that, that whole sentence to me is that it comes with, just, with such surety. There's no doubt. There's no question to Paul. There's no wavering. There's no maybe in his words. Paul knows better than most the coming judgment that a man faces when he leaves this world. He knows of the great white throne. He knows that the world will be assembled together before God. He knows about the books that will be opened. He knows about the revealing of all the secrets. He knows that the angels will be listening. He knows about the awful sentence that will be pronounced. He knows the eternal separation between the sheep and the goats. He knows all of that, mind you. And yet when he looks forward, he looks past all of that and he sees that God himself has laid up a crown for him. And not only has God himself laid up a crown for him, laid aside, put on, lay away. 
for him. God himself will put that crown on Paul's head. Well done, good and faithful servant. How amazing and sure are those words. That Paul, standing at the end of his life, looks, looks across eternity. And he doesn't fret over judgment. He knows that's been taken care of. He looks past all that, having come out of the life he's been in, and he sees a crown. How you doing right here, church? Could you today stand with Paul, look down into death, no fear? Look back into life, no regrets. Look forward into heaven, no doubts. This crown, this crown Paul gets, it's not, a, it's not a golden crown. It's not a crown of a king. It's what in the Greek is called a stephanos. It's a laurel wreath. It's a wreath crown given to the victor of the race. Paul says, I've run the course. I've finished the race. And God has laid up for me now this, this victor's crown. And he'll place it on my head himself. Just as sure as I'm facing my death, God will he'll, he'll greet me with that crown. It's not that He's won over other men and women in life. It's that He's won over life itself. He's won over life itself. Life beckoned Him, called Him to this, called Him to that. Paul forsook all the things that the world would call to him with. And he followed God. He did what he's asking Timothy to do. He, he preached the word. He was ready in season and out of season. He was sober-minded, knowing that people at the hearing of God's word, they'll scatter. They would rather have their ears tickled than to hear the heart-wrenching, operating scalpel of God's word in their life. He said you've got to preach for change, rebuke, repu- reprove, Exhort, come alongside them with great patience. It's going to take great patience and instruction, Timothy, to do this work. Paul's done it. He's done it. And while they won't endure sound doctrine, you have to endure hardship, Timothy. And you have to fulfill your ministry all the way to the end. Paul's done it. And here he stands, looks down into the grave, back into his life, and then forward into eternity. No fear, no regrets, and no doubts. Paul's life ends well, church. His life ends well. If it's a movie, it's, maybe it's Rocky. Maybe it's Rudy. Maybe it's uh, Shawshank Redemption. It's a long movie. It's an exhausting story of hardship, perseverance, and resilience that in the end gives way to those that overcome and are rewarded by the King. We love those stories, don't we? We love the stories of those who fight the good fight, those who finish the course, those who don't lose faith. Instinctive, we, we love those stories. We weep, we cheer for the guy who pours out all his sweat and blood and crawls across the finish line, spent at the end. We'll stand to clap for that man. That woman. 
We love those stories. That's Paul's life. Vince Lombardi, famous coach, he once said about life that life is lying exhausted on the field of battle at the end of the fourth quarter. That's life to the old ball coach. Lying exhausted on the field of battle at the end of the fourth quarter. Completely spent. It's as if he's saying, now I can, now I can breathe. I can relax. Knowing I've given it my all. There's no, no better feeling than knowing that you gave everything you have, is there? No better feeling than knowing that you've, you've given all that you have. There's no worse feeling than looking back thinking, I could have done more. I could have done more. Leave it all on the field. That's what Paul might say if he were a football coach. Leave it all on the field. Incidentally, uh, Paul was, by all worldly standards, a failure at the end of his life. Have you noticed that? <laughs> by all worldly standards, Paul was a complete and utter failure. He's going to say in the next couple of verses that people just desert him. Timothy, come to me soon. Everybody seems to be, seems to be gone. He's going to say, bring, bring my coat. And he's got nothing. By all indications, this guy's life was a waste. Is that all right with you? Is that all right with you? That you would give your life to something bigger than yourself. Something grander than anything this world could ever offer. And at the end of your life, you lay on the battlefield completely exhausted but content, knowing that you've given it all you could give? Or would you look down and have, have reason to fear? Would you look back and have reason to regret? And would you look forward and have reason to doubt? Let me finish with this. Paul, it's not just talking to Timothy here. You guys know that. He's looking for others to join him, isn't he? He's speaking through the ages down to the churches. And God is looking for those men and women who will join the ranks of the complete and utter failures. <laughs> the reward is available not only to me, Paul says, but also to all those who have loved his appearing. What a promise. Paul says you can have the same reward that I'm sure of. This crown of righteousness can be yours too. Can I give you Paul's secret? It's pretty simple here. He mentions it at the end of verse 8. It's for all those who have loved His appearing. It's a state of mind. It's an attitude. It's a perspective on life. Here it is. Paul was longing to see his Jesus, his Savior, his Lord. And his whole life, his whole life was set on that course. He's going to say in verse 9, Timothy, come to me quickly. Some guys have left. This guy named Demas, he's gone. And he says something interesting here. He says, Demas, having loved this world, he's gone. Here's the secret. 
to being able to stand like Paul at the end of your life, look down into the grave with no fear, look back over the summary of your life and be able to correctly evaluate it and say words like, I've fought the good fight, I've, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith. Be able to say that at the end of your life. To be able to look back with no regrets and to be able to look forward without any doubts. Here's the secret for Paul. He lived his life longing for and loving with a great heart affection that motivated his whole life. The appearing, the day that he would stand face to face with his Savior. In contrast, in contrast, if you don't want to be able to say that, then, then we're going to go the way of this guy named Demas, who in contrast didn't love the appearing of his Lord. He loved this world. That's the difference, guys. Paul, he lived longing for the appearing of his Savior. Where are we? How many of us are living for a love of this world? And the things of this world aren't growing strangely dim, as the old hymn says. For us, the things of this world, they are magnified. Our hearts are fully and completely after them. And our God, He's a one day a week afterthought. To stand like Paul at the end of your life, no fear, no regrets, and no doubts going forward into eternity. Live Longing and loving the appearing of your Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, uh, these, are, these are perhaps simple words. But there's something about the last words of a man that, that gain our attention. There's something about that final evaluation of a man's life that is worth noting. Lord, might we all, might we all be able to stand like Paul in our final days and raise our own life up as an example to those who follow behind us in the faith because that's what Paul's done here, Lord. He set his own life up as an example to be learned from. Might each one of us in all humility, but with all confidence in our Savior, be able to present our lives to the faithful coming behind us as a model, as an example. Not to mention our children, Lord. But even if we just stop there and we forget the rest of the faithful who will come behind us, if we just think about our children, will we be that model? Will we be that example? Will our children be able to look to us and say that, that we have fought the good fight? We've finished the course set out before us, no matter what the hurdles were. And we have kept the faith to the very end. Well, my prayer for your children is that that would be true of us, each and every one of us. Make it true, Lord. And I'll finish by praying for the secret if there is one. I pray that you would teach us to love your appearing. Oh, yeah. Teach us to love and long 
for the day that we will stand face to face with our beautiful Jesus. The one who poured out his entire life. The one who at at the cross well, he was the ultimate failure in the world's eyes. Until that day that he arose from the grave and he was seen as the victor over sin and death. Oh Lord, help us to see that there is a day. There is a day of our resurrection, if you will. And might we not look back over the course of our lives and have any regrets. Might we not look back and say we could have given it more. Might we not look back and say we could have been a better example. Might it be true of us what is said of Paul and what is asked of Timothy that we would fulfill our ministry to the very end to the very end. And Lord, whatever movie our life looks like right now, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe some of our lives are, uh, are like a horror story. And maybe some of our lives are this great mystery to us right now. And uh, maybe, maybe a good number of us, it, it looks like this ridiculous comedy. Whatever the case may be, we, we know, Lord, that you are the author and the perfecter of our faith. And the work that you've begun in us, you will finish. And so, Lord, as you, as you unfold the movie of our life and we face whatever hurdles whatever ups and downs in the story that comes whatever surprise twists and plots turns whatever comes we're going to trust you with the end we're going to trust you with the end and we'll fight and we'll run and we'll hold fast as you teach us to love your appearing more than we love this world. We ask it. We plead for you. We plead for it, Lord. In the name of Jesus, who is our cornerstone. Amen and amen.